Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We are not doing this, however, without considering the works we are committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Good to have you here with us this morning. Good morning again. Glad you are here so we could celebrate the risen Lord together. Uh, Let's bow one more time before... Uh, we start. God, we are grateful for an opportunity to gather here together. Lord, we are grateful for the good news we heard about Terry's numbers being up this morning. And we prayed continued healing on her, Father, to get that bone marrow transplant and Lord, to see her free from this cancer. Once again, we ask that you would do these things in their lives, strengthen them, show mercy, Father, restore her health. And Lord, may you restore the health of all of us who are here this morning. Father, wherever we are at and whatever things we are going through, Lord, you are able to bring restoration and we pray that you would. And we do ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I I was thinking this morning, or actually before this morning, hopefully I was thinking before this morning on what I was going to say, but I was wondering, like, what does resurrection mean to me? What does Easter mean to me? And when I became a follower of Jesus, I really didn't have a lot of understanding about the resurrection. I, I didn't know a whole lot about Jesus. My insight about Jesus was really from some plays that I had seen. It was from Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar. That was what I knew about Jesus. And and so this resurrection thing was all new to me. And I wondered, like, when I first heard, I go, well, that's a strange thing. That's not something you hear about every day. And really, if you hear the idea of resurrection, of someone coming back to life, there is no way you should just say, oh, okay. It is meant to cause some kind of like conundrum within you. It's like, how does that happen? That's not a normal thing, is it? It's not been a normal thing in my life. I don't know about you, but it is meant to provoke that kind of response, one that pushes us to think in a way that is outside the norm of maybe how we've been thinking. And so this morning, I'm going to talk to you about complete sentences, which I do rarely. I'm going to talk to you about poor sports. Uh, 
And I'm going to talk to you about frittata. Does anyone know what frittata is? A few of you, okay. Are any of you Italian who raised your hand? Okay, you'll find out. Don't worry, I won't leave you in the dark. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And we are going to go through this story, even as Randy had mentioned earlier, of Lazarus, because I think there are some things that take place in this story that are pretty profound. And we're going to start in verse 5. And so John chapter 11, verse 5, we read, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this is a family that Jesus would often go spend time with. There's Martha, the younger sister, Mary, not, can be, not to be confused with the other Mary or Mary or Mary that are in the Bible, but this is the younger sister, Mary, and Lazarus, the baby brother. So they go there. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, which again is a strange thing. Someone is sick and then you just chill out instead of going to see him, you're hanging back which is all part of this story. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is, is not in him. I wonder if the disciples felt the same way maybe many of us feel when we read that verse, like, huh? What what, what does that mean with what's happening here? But let's push on. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. See, I I see Jesus saying, you know, the light, we can walk in the light, but when the night comes, then we can't walk. I see the disciples having that chicken eye stare at him like, What did that mean? And he said, okay, let me tell you, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. Again, curious thing to say. And then, verse 16, Thomas called the twin. And by the way, they always love it when you call them the twin. I have twins, and you can just ask them, how do you like being called the twin? And it's like, yeah, that's been wonderful my whole life. Okay, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. It's a cheerful group, isn't it? Now, he's not going to say, let us go and let's just grieve. Remember, they just said that they were trying to stone you to death. Well, let's go because let's get this over with. We're probably going to get killed as well. When I was taking English in school, they would give us these quizzes and they would give you a sentence and you would have to answer it. And the whole point was to help you to be responsive in the things that you read and to be able to articulate down in writing the things that had happened. And so they would say something in the sentences like, 
Gabe's favorite color is blue, and Gabe is going to paint his new car. What color do you think Gabe should paint or will paint his new car? And you see, what I would do is I'd write blue because that's the answer, right? But the teacher would get upset. She said, that's not a complete sentence. And so I'd say, the color blue, right? And it was like, no, that's not the complete sentence. The complete sentence is, I believe that Gabe will paint his car the color blue. And then you had those people who say, I believe that Gabe will paint his color, color, you know, color of his car blue, comma, because that is his favorite color. They just always had to be, you know, adding on. They just had to be complete. They had to be thorough. Not me. I was just like blue. That's the answer. You know it's the answer. I know it's the answer. Let's move on to the next question. I've got things to do. Don't you know what time it is? You see, complete thoughts are something that are important. You might notice this when you're texting someone. I got a text the other day and it said, someone is wanting to come over and they want to know if it's okay to bring something to eat. I told them no. What do you think? And I want to answer in one word. I want to either say yes or no, but I'm thinking, well, are they going to think if I say yes, yes, I want them to come over, but no, they don't have to bring something to eat. And so you can't just respond in one word. You have to kind of go through, yes, they can come over. No, they don't need to bring something for us to eat, which is, you know, again, it's like blue, okay? I just want to answer blue. I just want to get this through. And you see, Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples, but there's a lot going on, and they're only hearing just part of what's going on. They're seeing this fragmented because of where their mindset is. And I think that happens to us so many times when we are wanting to have this life that's connected to God, we want God to, to give us something, but we want it to be simple. I just want the color blue. God, yes or no. And God starts going into these details that are a little bit more difficult. You know, he starts talking about, you know, walking in the day and, and walking at night. And now Lazarus is dead, but I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you could believe. And it's like, I just want to know what to believe. Just give me the answer. Just tell me what it is. Make it simple. But he's pushing us into something more. And that's oftentimes what it's difficult for us. And, and so he goes on in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Four days is important because in some of the Jewish writings, they actually believed that the soul lingered for three days, but on the fourth day, it was supposedly to hopefully go with God. But after three days, it was a done deal. So four days is an important number that is presented here. And so... Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, and Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The first question that is presented by Jesus. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world, which isn't really an answer to what he had just asked her. And so we see again that Jesus is pushing this in a little bit further and he's saying that I am the resurrection. And do you believe this? And she says, well, I I do. And she starts off saying, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. Which which I don't think it was something that she was saying in a derogatory sense. It might have even been in a complimentary way where I know that you had the power. If you were here, then he would not have died. I know that you could have done that. It may be that she said it in that way, but even now I know that whatever you ask him, God will give you. And so she's telling him, I I trust you. I believe in you. You could have kept him alive, but now I believe in you still. And, And so Jesus says, you know, that he will rise again. And she says, well, I know that will happen. And you see, what I think is happening here is something that happens with us. When we hear this idea about resurrection, it's great because that will happen in heaven someday. You know, but this is four days later, and so this is kind of done now. And Jesus is stepping in and saying, it's not over. You know, that great line by Yogi Berra that says, it ain't over until it's over. You see, we have this idea of this is how things are. This is what it is. And God has a way of breaking that mold and saying, no, there's, there's more to this story of your life and the things you're going through maybe than you see. That I have the ability to actually speak into your life still, even though for you it seems like it's over. And sometimes we want to end the story that God is just beginning. We we want to put this finality because it brings more comfort to us to just call it through than to actually stay in the tension of what God wants to do in our lives. But Jesus pushes even further. He pushes in verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Deja vu. This is, I've heard this before. Again, what is she saying? Is she, she complaining or is she acknowledging the power that is there? And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So, The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? 
again, a, a little passive-aggressive thing going on here. Some interesting things to note. In verse 33, when it says, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, it actually means that there was a deep anger welled within him, that he was agitated. So this idea of being troubled actually was he was angered and agitated. And you have to think, why was he angry? What is going on here that would move him to this anger? I learned to play poker when I was five years old. Bet you didn't see that coming. I went to my cousin's house after school, and then my mom would pick me up in the evening. And one time after school, we got around a table, and they were showing me how to play poker. And they had, because I didn't have any money, I was five years old, they had a jar with some pennies. And so they divvied up all the pennies and we all had some nickels and there might have been a quarter in there or so. And so we started playing poker and I started winning. And I had amassed a big pile of pennies and some nickels and I seemed to remember a quarter distinctly in my mind. And so I was pretty thrilled because I had nothing invested in the game. They gave me the pennies anyway, and now I was winning more. And so I was so happy that I was getting all this money that wasn't mine to begin with. And then my mom came and she was here to pick me up. And so we had to finish and she was talking to my aunt for a little while. And then my streak went away and I started losing. And I was losing all these pennies that were given to me. So that when my mom finally says, we've got to go now, I only had like two pennies. And I remember I started throwing a fit. I started crying and I was so upset because I had lost this money. I remember feeling just the, the pain of losing. This might be why I don't gamble, right? It's because from that time on, it's like, I can't lose. I can't lose. Even when it wasn't mine to begin with, I was upset and I was crying so much so that they had to give me some pennies just to stop me from crying so that I could go, right? See, if Vegas would do that, I would go. (laughs) You see, I I was a poor sport. I I didn't like losing. It, It upset me that what I had had was now taken away. And when Jesus was angry and when he was agitated, what we see here is he sees something and he doesn't like what's happening. And it angers him. You see, Jesus was a poor sport when it came to death. Every time he encountered death, he said, no, this won't do. And he changed it. He raised the widow's son. Here he raises Lazarus. Even in his own death, he's like, no, this will not do. You see, John 10.10 said that he came to give us life and to give us life in abundance. But here is life being taken away and it does something to him. So when he sees the effect of death, it agitates him. It angers him. He is pushed to the place where he is frustrated because of what is happening. So much so that he has to do something about it. And right after he is agitated, where he's troubled, he says, where have you laid him? In other words, take me to the grave. And they take him there. And when he goes there, 
It says that Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. If you have to memorize a verse, you know, in Sunday school, here is your verse, okay? That's a free one for you guys. Yes, Jesus wept. Boom. It's like, well, okay, yeah, it's a verse. I guess I got to give it to you. So that's happy Easter there. But it's not just that Jesus wept. It's actually that he was sobbing. He actually burst out crying. Now, what kind of God is this who is angry about what he sees and then is so moved that he starts crying? If you're an emotional person, this is where you want to live. This is your story because it has these extremes. It's going from this place of anger to now this place where he is crying. And as he bursts into tears, we see his empathy, his pain for the tragedy and situation, for their lack of hope in this situation, and it moves him. I don't think I could worship a God who doesn't weep. I don't think I could worship a God who doesn't know why we cry and what moves us to this place. He wasn't just sniffling, you know, wiping a tear away. He was weeping. So much to say, wow, he was really moved and touched. Look how he loved them. But the story presses on in verse 38. Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Love this. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, "Uh, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Don't you love Martha? Martha is the one with the antiseptic wipes there, right, at the house. She's the one who would say, oh, here, you touch the door. I'm here, clean this off. Make sure it's, Lord, don't ruin the party. By now he stinks. And I didn't bring any candles I don't have the air freshener. Don't spoil this. It's bad enough as it is. What are you doing? And then Jesus in verse 40 said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? And she doesn't say anything. It's just like, okay, what does that mean? And so verse 41, they took away the stone And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. This is the most interesting prayer. Jesus said, God, I'm talking to you, but it's not for me. I'm talking to you so that they can hear me talking to you because I want them to know what you are doing. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. Don't you love that? Jesus says, hey, loosen him. Now, if he was bound head to toe and he came out, he had to be hopping. Just wanted to throw some Easter thing there. That's, yeah, that's where the Easter bunny came. And I don't know how they got, no. 
But what I find interesting here is when he says, didn't I tell you? You see, I told you I was the resurrection and the life. Didn't I tell you this? A lot of times we want to follow Jesus and we want to believe that when we die, we go to heaven. But when he says, roll away the stone, we said, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a little heavy. It's going to stink. Can't I just wait here and go with you there? But you see, he's wanting to do more. And a lot of people look at Easter and look at the relationship with Jesus kind of like Easter used to be for me. See, Easter tradition was I would go to my grandmother's house and we'd have frittata. If you don't know what frittata is, frittata is everything quiche wish it could be, but couldn't quite. Okay, it's the Italian equivalent to quiche. It's got eggs, but it's got to have meat in there. And so you have Italian sausage. We used to have asparagus and you used to have peppers. And it is just full. It is a meal in itself. And it is from God. It is just an amazing thing. You see, and I loved Easter because that's when we would get the frittata. It happened on Easter. And a lot of people have this belief in Jesus We believe him, and I'm not questioning anyone's belief. And we love Jesus. And if someone were to ask you, what faith are you? You would say, I am a Christian. And you know the scripture, but for you, it's frittata. It's something that happens on occasion. It's something that happens when you need it. It might happen on Sunday. It might happen on Easter. It might happen on Christmas too. But it's not something that presses into the stink of your life. It's not something that he pushes to a further place. You see, I'm fine with Lazarus in the tomb. I'm fine with Jesus saying these things and telling me I'm going to go to heaven. But when he starts pushing in and saying, okay, I want to do something that is really spectacular. You need to move the stone away and it can stink because that's where this work needs to take place. We, Lord, not here, not now. By this time, it's too late. But Jesus would say it ain't over till it's over. You see, you might say that this relationship that I'm in, it's done. And Jesus says, it ain't over till it's over. You might say this battle that I'm having and this struggle that I'm having with, I just can't do it anymore. I'm at the end of my rope. And Jesus is saying, it ain't over. Not with me. There is more, but you've got to roll the stone away and you've got to trust me to do what you cannot do. You see, we want a Jesus who is risen, but you see, he is calling us to the tomb to roll away the stone to see what he can do. And that's where it's difficult for us. Why does there have to be a resurrection? Why does there have to be this? You see, 
Jesus talks about death and rebirth constantly. He talks about his and he talks about ours. He he calls us to, to let go, to turn away, to renounce, to confess, to repent, to leave behind the old ways. He talks of a life that will come from his own death and he promises that life will flow to us in thousands of ways if we die to our egos, if we die to our pride, of our need to be right, of our self-sufficiency, of our rebellion, our stubborn insistence that we deserve our way. You see, when we cling with our knuckles white to the things that we want, to our hostility, to our sin, We're like a tree that won't let go of its leaves. There can't be a spring until there's a winter. There can't be life until it goes through the death. Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will never produce life. And we say, yes, Jesus, we see that in you. But he says, no, that needs to take place in you too. You want to experience the life that Jesus gives, but we don't want to go through the death that it takes to get the life. And that death is pushing into our space it's asking of us more than we want to give so many times it is saying that if you want this life then it is going to cost you yours and i want your life i want to go to heaven but i don't want to roll the stone away i don't want to deal with the death now i would just assume keep it behind there where i don't have to smell it And he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't let us stay there. He wants us to experience these things. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul knew that I'm alive, but it's not me, it's Christ in me. It's the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Why? Because I, too, have been crucified. I, too, have died. And this is where we need to go if we want the life that God gives. There is no other way around it. God is asking of you your life. And he's wanting you to lay it down. And he's wanting to see death take place in these areas that you're holding on to because you don't want to let go. But you will never experience the fullness of life that God gives unless you go through the death like Christ did, the death to ourself, the death to that self-sufficiency, the death to the ego, the death to the pride, the death to having it to be right all the time. And what we see in Christ take place 
is what really needs to take place in all our lives. And what's an amazing thing is Christ died once for all, but his death was so that all could die and be alive with him. See, he tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. His life is now in you. Now, this isn't for when you die. This is talking about those who believe. This is talking those who have followed after Christ. If this is what God did in him, don't you know what he can do in you? And we want that. We so want that. But then he says, if you want this, you have to die, even like I did. And the challenge here is that we want what God has for us, but do we understand what we have to go through to get the life that God has for us. The question is, will you die for the life that you were meant to live? Are you willing to die so that you can have the life that Jesus gives? And that's something that we have to ask ourselves. That's something that happens. You see, you find yourself in a place where you feel like you've come to the end of the road. You, you feel depressed and you don't know why. You're, you're struggling. Maybe you've lost a, a, a loved one or a job or some sense of security. And you come to this place and you're saying, I, I don't have this together. And I don't like where I'm at. And I don't like the things I'm going through. And God, I want you to help me in my life. And he says, okay, if you really want me, it is going to cost you. And it's like, what is I going to have to pay God? And he says, it's going to cost you your life. Because that's the only time that I give life. Seed has to die before it comes back. Easter isn't something we remember. It's something we live. And the call to us this Easter is to live the life that God has called for us to live. There's a beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. It says, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. You know, it's so interesting in John's gospel when he talks about Lazarus being bound up and him having to hop out of there and he tells them, hey, unwrap him. Let the guy loose. In chapter 20, when we see the resurrection and the disciples go into the tomb, they find the same linens that were not the exact same one, but the same type of linen that would wrap the body that was used with Lazarus, the same type was used with Jesus, but they are folded and set neatly. The, the body wrapping and then the wrapping for the head. 
You see, Jesus didn't need anyone to unwrap him. Jesus didn't need resurrection. Jesus was resurrection. And when he rose, it's like he just, okay, let me get rid of this. I've taken care of it. You see, death is swallowed up by the resurrection. Jesus is that resurrection. He is that life. And he wants us to have that life now, not when we die. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And you think about that. Wait a second. John wrote this and all these disciples, they've died. What does he mean? It means you will share in the life that God has. And you will have that life now. That life that is meant to consume you now. That life that is supposed to be to the full now. That life that is supposed to be abundant now. You see, why we need resurrection is because I need life now. I don't need it when I die. I need it now. The proof of life after death is that there is life before death. Do you have life now? Because what Jesus is calling us to is our own death our own tomb. And he wants to roll that stone away. Do you believe this? Do you believe he can offer you this? Because this is all he offers. He doesn't offer a yearly good feel. He doesn't offer a religious satisfaction But what he does offer is life in abundance. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Lord, we love to hear stories where you conquer. But sometimes we are afraid to be a part of the story. Because what needs to be conquered first is our own hearts. Sometimes that's as scary as rolling the stone away. And Lord, I I pray for those who are here this morning who are at a place where they believe in you. They know the stories are true, but their life is not abundant. They are struggling because they have not come to an end of themselves. And maybe what you're doing this morning is is pushing them to take that step, to be willing to give up the things that they would hold on to or hold apart from you the things that they don't want to give up even though they know they should. You're saying, if you want this life, it's going to cost you. And I pray for them, Lord, that they would roll those stones away, that they would allow you to reach their hearts, the depths of their heart. God, there may be people here also who, who have yet to 
acknowledge you as their Lord and they're hearing this story and it just sounds like something they need. They realize that even though they are alive, they are not living. They're merely surviving and you are calling them to a resurrection. You're calling all of us into this newness of life that you give. And we see it around us in the seasons. We see it in the leaves that fall and that die and the tree that goes dormant. Maybe their life is dormant now and you are calling them back to life. Lord, may you resurrect every heart that is in this room this morning. Father, may our lives produce fruit for you. May we live in the abundance that you have for us. May we not hold back anything that would keep us from everything that you have. This morning, if you realize that you need to make that kind of a commitment, maybe you believe in Jesus, but you know you're not living in the fullness he has, and you know that there has to be some kind of surrender. Would you acknowledge that? Just raise your hand. So we can pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And if you're here this morning and you have yet to acknowledge that you need God in your life and you want to do that now because you've come to the place where you realize I'm dead and I need God, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray with you as well. Father, I thank you for everyone here and the work you're doing. May this work produce something powerful within us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful Easter. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget the kids, the Easter egg hunt. Don't forget the pictures. Enjoy each other's company. God bless you. Thanks for being here. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.